Good morning, church. Thanks for coming this morning. Despite the snow and the icy parking lot, I thought it was much harder to get in the building than to get to the building. So last week, we started our new series on independence. And what we talked about was the comparison between living independently out of our own strength, and then we explored or discussed what it looks like to live in dependence on God. And we watched a video of the Team Hoyt and just how they did that. If you want to get caught up and you don't know what I'm talking about, you can go on our website and watch previous messages and see it there. But what I want to do today is use that as our starting point to talk about kind of part two of that message today. So we understand that we are called to live a life fully dependent on God. We want to live a life that is fully devoted to him. The question is, how do we do that? Because I think most of us would say, yes, we, we want to live that way, but how on earth do we get there? Because it's not easy. It's hard. So I believe there are two steps that can help us get there. These are not by any means the only two steps. These are just the two steps that I feel led to share and talk about today. So step number one, uh, is anyone in here a lifeguard or been a lifeguard? Man, Marcus does everything. <laughs> Man, jack of all trades. So <clears throat> I've never been a lifeguard, but I'm gonna teach you what I think lifeguards are taught. And if I'm wrong, please instruct me afterwards. So <clears throat> you see someone drowning. What you are supposed to do, first step, is throw them something so they can use that to be safe. If you are in the water with them already, and thus you have nothing to throw, you get over to them and you knock them out. Is that correct? I uh, hear it is. I hear it is. Because they are flailing and they are scared and the only thing that they're going to do is grab you and you're both going to go under. So they have to be a limp noodle so that you can save them. Okay, Rick Workentine knows what he's talking about. Love you, man. Um, so, or the other option is you stand there on the beach or the side of the pool watching them flail for a long time until they reach the point that they're done. They stop they cannot continue. They have given up hope. They are just exhausted. That's when you dive in and help. Okay, so either one of those ways, they have to just be completely done. Either you force it. <laughs> Don't you want me to be your lifeguard? <laughs> or what you do is you wait for them to be done. But they have to reach the point where they recognize they are in need. They have to give up be done. So I think step one of growing in our dependence on God is that we have to learn to give up and just be done. Because I think once we reach that point, then we recognize that we are in need. And we won't be looking for help unless we recognize that we are in need. So step one, growing independence, recognize our own need. 
Step two, before I explain what that is, um, I want to tell a story. So does anyone know who, let me make sure I say his name right, Charles Blondin is? Anyone ever heard of Charles Blondin? Um, was anyone alive in 1859? Man, Polly, we just got like stellar people in our congregation. Really old people? Thank you, Polly. So, 1859, he's a tightrope walker. And he decides that he's going to cross Niagara Falls. So he gets a 1,100-foot rope that's 160 feet above the falls, and he crosses. Now, he was quite the adventurer, and I would call a brave, dumb risk taker. <laughs> and what he did was he decided, I'm not just going to do this once. So over I don't know how much period of time, once he crossed blindfolded, one time he crossed on stilts. Stilts, yes, stilts. One time he crossed, um, he got about halfway, he stopped, he kind of sat, he made an omelet. He ate it, he finished. And one time he crossed with a wheelbarrow. <clears throat> I'm sure he was much steadier than me. So he gets all the way across, and everyone's cheering. Everyone's like, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing. And he says, you think I can do it again? And they're like, yeah, you can. And he's like, you think I can do it with someone in the wheelbarrow? And they go, yes, you can. Yes, you can. Yes, you They're all excited. And he goes, who wants to get in? No one. No one got in. And you wonder why they didn't get in, because they obviously had faith that he could do it. They just saw him do it. But they didn't get in. And they didn't get in because they didn't trust him with their life. They didn't trust him with their life. They believed, they had faith in him, but they didn't trust him with their life. Our text from today is from Matthew chapter 13. So if you have your Bibles, you want to pull out your phone, you can. This is Matthew chapter 13, and we are going to read about the parable of the sower and then the explanation of the parable of the sower. Okay. Matthew 13, starting at verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seeds fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now we're going to skip to verse 18. And as we go through the explanation, I want to have you watch for two things. Did the seed believe 
And did the seed trust? And we realize that seeds can't do that. Okay, I get it. Okay. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Did this seed believe? Mm, debatable. I'm not sure. It doesn't say received. It doesn't say it believed. So, debatable. Did the seed trust? No. Like, immediately, it falls away. It doesn't even really take root. Verse 20. The one who received the seed that fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. Did the seed believe? Yes, received it with joy. Very clearly has faith. Did the seed trust? I'd say no. Trials, persecution come? I'm out. Done. Okay, next seed, verse 22. The one who receives the seed that fell among the thorns is the man who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke it, making it unfruitful. Does this seed believe? It's debatable. It doesn't say that it did, but we know that um, faith comes through hearing, and it says here that it heard the word. So I would say this seed believed, but again didn't trust because of the worries of this life and desiring other things, wealth, etc. Final seed, verse 23. But the one who received the seed that fell on good soil is the man who hears the word and understands it. He produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Who wants to be the last seed? I hope all of us have our hands up. We want to be fruitful like that. We want to be used by God in that way. But I think a lot of times what stops us is that we don't trust. We have faith, but we don't trust. I used to think that faith and trust were exactly the same thing. Um, I had someone when I was growing up say to me, faith is the fantastic adventure in trusting him. Faith and trust, equal, same thing, different words, same. And what I've realized, really just in the last three months, is that they're different because I believe that trust is a vehicle God uses to grow our faith. So when I think about kind of where I am in my own faith journey, I think in terms of a continuum. So <clears throat> I tend to think about all of us are on this continuum if we have faith. In some way, shape, or form, we end up here. And there's a lot of times we may be over here, we may be over here, like it's kind of up and down sometimes, right? Faith is a journey. So <clears throat> I like to think of trust as the vehicle God uses to grow us from a weak faith to a strong faith. Okay, so similar but different purpose. Does that make sense? So when I'm thinking about this, I'm trying to think about who's a good biblical example of someone who had weak faith or shallow dependence on God. Uh, we talked about someone last week. Uh, King Saul. King Saul would be an example from our message last week about someone who they have faith, they trust and believe, but when the going gets tough, they're done. 
So we know we don't want to live that way. Who is someone who had a strong faith and a very deep dependence on God? There's lots of people. Someone said, David, you guys are so smart. I'd say King David. Almost exact opposite, because what did he do when he showed up to face Goliath? Did he say, yes, please give me all your armor. I need tons of help. I need to depend on you guys. So when I approach Goliath, we need the left flank to go this way, and we need the right flank to go this way. I'm not military, so I don't even really know what a flank is. Um, But he didn't do that. He completely said, God's got this. I'll just take five stones. Well, and I really only need one stone. Oh, and I'll use Goliath's sword. I'll use his sword on him. God's got this. So I would say all of us want to be there, right? Whenever trials come or difficulties come, we want to be like, I want to have faith like David. But I think most of us, most days, aren't at either end of the spectrum. There's times that they're there. I would hope that there are times that we have deep faith and deep dependence on God like David. But generally speaking, I think most of the time we're in the middle. And we hope and pray that God, as our life goes on, we grow and we're more often on the strong faith. But Gideon would be an example of someone who I have seen through reading scripture grew to a place of deep faith. So we're going to look at his story. So go to Judges. Judges 6. And just so you know, um, this was before they had kings, right? So they've gotten to the promised land, and God raises up different judges, Gideon, one of them, to help people, the Israelites, come back to God and then live a peaceful life. And then that judge would die or leave, and they'd be like, oh, we need more help again. And they would start following their own things, and it was just this cycle. So we are in Judges chapter 6, verses 12 through 13. So Gideon, they are oppressed by the Midianites, and Gideon is threshing, Gideon is threshing wheat. Okay? When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. But sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us into the hand of Midian. Where is Gideon's faith slash trust level in God right now? Nope. Super low. He's like, what the heck, God? Like, you've walked us through all of this stuff. You helped us get out of Egypt. You did the plagues. You did all of that. And now you just abandoned us. Why should I trust you? You, you haven't shown up. We're being oppressed right now, and you're ignoring it. He's at a low point. Moving to verse 16. The Lord answered, I'll be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that is really you talking to me. So Gideon really wants to know, God, is this really you? Are you showing up? Are are you really calling me to do this? Are you going to free us from the Midianites? Prove it. Prove it. Some stuff happens. We skip to verse 36, and this will be a part of the story that everyone should be familiar with. Chapter 6, verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, 
I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And that's what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So Gideon decides, I'm going to make God prove it so that my trust in him can grow. So that happens. God does what he says he's going to do, but Gideon's not done. Verse 39. Then Gideon said to God, Do not be angry with me. Let me just once, let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time, make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night, God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. So now twice... God has proved himself. There's been a situation that God has said, all right, I'm going to show up in this. I'm going to prove that I am God, and I'm going to walk you through this difficult time. And he showed up, and so I believe Gideon's faith and trust in him grows. But I'd still say it's middle. <laughs> like, I wouldn't say it's like way up there with David. It's, it's grown some, but God still has to show up. So now we're going to skip to Judges 7, verse 9, and we're going to read the rest of the story of how Gideon, through God's help, defeated the Midianites. Verse 9, during that night, the Lord said to Gideon, get up, go down against the camp, because I'm going to give it into your hands. If you are afraid to attack, go down to the camp with your servant Pura and listen to what they are saying. Afterward, you will be encouraged to attack the camp. So he and Pura, his servant, went down to the outposts of the camp. So you have to remember, Gideon has 300 men. And there are a lot of Midianites. And Gideon, not too long ago, is threshing wheat. It's not like he's a warrior. It's not like he's been trained in being a general. God has given him 300 men to attack the scourge of the earth. What... What are you going to do, God? So he's still afraid. He still doesn't trust fully. God sends him down to the Midianite camp. Verse 12. The Midianites, the Malachites, and all the other eastern peoples had settled in the valley thick as locusts. That means there's a lot. Their camels could no more be counted than the sand on the seashore. Again, a lot. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. Okay, so they sneak up, and some dude's like, dude, I had a dream. And this is what he says. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. Ooh. Bread. Scary. <laughs> so, I think it's awesome that God used this dream to say, <laughs> we should all fear bread, you Midianites. Keep listening. I'll read, uh, I'll read 13 again because I think it's funny. Gideon arrived just as a man was telling a friend his dream. I had a dream, he was saying. A round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp. It struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. 
His friend responded, This can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into his hands. He knew who Gideon was, first off, crazy. And then he interprets the dream that barley bread is going to destroy us. So barley boy is here to beat us up. And he's legitimately terrified. Is that a miracle? Preach. Okay. Verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped God. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, Get up! The Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. Dividing the 300 men into three companies, he placed trumpets and empty jars in the hands of all of them with torches inside. Watch me, he told them. Follow my lead. When I get to the edge of the camp, do exactly as I do. When I and all who are with me blow our trumpets, then from all around the camp, blow yours and shout, for the Lord and for Gideon. Gideon and the hundred men with him reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hands and holding in their right hands the trumpets, they were blown. They shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, the Lord caused the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords. The army fled to Beth Shitta toward Zerah as far as the border of Abel Meholah near to Beth. Okay, did God show up? God showed up. Did God grow Gideon's faith along the way and his trust in him to a point where he could attack a huge army with 300 men and not even go into the camp? going to stand on the edges and smash some stuff and blow our horns. Boop. Done. Like, what kind of plan is that? That's a horrible military plan. But God used it. If we want to grow our dependence on God, we have to learn to trust him so that when the big times come, when the big struggles come, we are ready to continue walking with him and get in the wheelbarrow. I think there are three things I would encourage us to do to help us grow our trust in God. So as a reminder, step one, if you want to grow in dependence, you have to recognize your need. Step two is you have to learn to trust him. So first, I think we should memorize scripture. And I think we should be intentional about memorizing scripture that talks about trusting God. Over in youth ministry, um, we've only done this a couple times, but what we started doing is at the beginning, at the end of announcements, before we go into our lesson for the day, we do a trust verse of the week. And the reason I've started doing that is because I want our students to learn verses about trust so that in times when they are going through struggles, Hopefully, God brings those verses to mind. So first off, memorize scripture about trusting God so that when you are hit with a difficult time, it's there. Second, I think you should review your life as 
it's gone and see where God has shown up? Where have you in the past seen God help you through a difficult time? Just like Gideon was remembering, God, you helped us through Egypt. You did this, this, and this to help us get where we are today. And then you abandoned us? He was remembering what God had done. Look back at your life and remember what God has done. Third, I think we need to take the struggles we encounter as opportunities to trust. Just like Gideon and just like David had opportunities where this is a struggle that I have to deal with. I'm going to trust God. He's going to see me through. And their trust grew. I want us to view our trials and our worries as opportunities to trust. Because if we can learn to trust in the smaller things, when we hit the big time, our faith will be like David's. And our dependence will be like him. I wanted to close from reading from Jeremiah 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, we're going to start at verse 5. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who depends on flesh for his strength, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. The one who trusts in man, he will be like a bush in the wastelands. He will not see prosperity when it comes. He will dwell in the parched places of the desert, in a salt land where no one lives. But, verse 7, but blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. He will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. God wants us to trust. And if we want to live lives that are in dependence on God, we have got to learn to trust. In the hard times, in the struggles, in the pain, we have got to go, God, I don't know why you're allowing this. This hurts, this sucks, this is not what I want. Why are you doing, why have you abandoned me? In those moments, we have to go, Lord, help me trust. Help me believe in you even when I can't see.